Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. When I was a senior in college, I decided to start working out. And there were a few motivating factors. The first was that I actually had extra time because Ray, my then fiance, had graduated early and moved back home. Now, she likes to point out that she graduated early and that makes her smarter than me. But trust me, if you spend any time with the two of us, you realize immediately that she's smarter than me. She didn't need to graduate early for you to figure that out. The second reason was that I was about to get married in six months and I wanted to LGN. If you don't know what that means, just move on, you'll be all right. So I convinced some of my friends to join me five days a week in the gym. Three days were for working out and lifting, two days for cardio and swimming. And we were so serious about it. I actually called one of my friends. He was a personal trainer at the time for the Toronto Blue Jays. I was like, dude, give me some workouts. And so we had notebooks and we brought them with us to keep track. I drank protein, which is disgusting. If you ever had it before, it's the worst. I know some of you work out all the time. Like, it's good if you do it the right way. It's not. It's always <laughs> disgusting. Now, after a few weeks of working out, one of the guys that we hung out with every once in a while actually asked if he could join us. Now, he was a super tall, super skinny dude, and he wanted to bulk up. He told us that he wanted to put on a little bit of muscle and get a girlfriend. So we told him the times that we're meeting up, and he started to join us. And for the next few weeks, he lifted with us. He ran with us. He swam with us. He even started to eat healthier. But about a month in, he began to skip days. He would say that he was busy, that he had homework, that he forgot. And missing one day a week turned into two, and two turned into three, and then he stopped showing up altogether. And so every night that we went to the gym, we would text him to see if he was, a co- he was coming, and eventually he just stopped answering, which is incredibly awkward when you go to a school that has 1,000 students in it because we saw him like 12 times a day. And one night we were heading up to the gym, and we decided that we were actually going to stop by his dorm to see if we could drag him up there. And so we knocked on our door, and he was there. He said, come in, and I will never forget this. There he was sitting on his couch. He was dressed in gym clothes, eating peanut butter out of the jar with a spoon. And my roommate, who was one of the guys that came with us, he was so mad. And he looks at this guy, and he goes, what are you doing? And without missing a beat, he answered, I'm eating peanut butter. And at this point, I just started laughing, and I couldn't really control myself, but my roommate wouldn't let it go. He says, why are you on your couch eating peanut butter? Well, he responded, I read that peanut butter has a lot of protein and can help me put on some weight. Now, in his defense, he's right. Peanut butter is a great workout food, but in order for it to be a great workout food, you have to work out. And my roommate kept pressing. If you want to gain muscle, you can't sit on your couch and eat peanut butter. And he responded, but working out was hard, and I wasn't seeing the results I wanted. So you quit? Yep. And they stuck a huge spoonful of peanut butter into his mouth, and we left. He wanted to get in shape. Right? He wanted to put on some muscle, but he didn't want to do the work. It was hard. It was hard to create time. It was hard physically because he became sore. And it was hard mentally because he wasn't seeing the immediate results 
that he wanted, so he gave up. And we do this all the time, right? We do this at work. We want to move up in our career, so we go to our boss and we ask, what can we do? And he suggests taking an extra class or going to a conference or volunteering for a new project. But instead, we keep doing what we're doing and then get frustrated 10 years down the road when we're at the same job with no plan for advancement. We do this in our marriages. We want to have the best marriage possible. We want to bicker less and trust more. And so what we do is we approach a couple that we look up to that just celebrate their 40th year of marriage, and we ask them how they do it. And they tell us that it isn't easy, but they carve out time regularly to go on dates. They'll tell you that they spend Saturday night or Sunday nights working ahead of their schedule to communicate, to make sure they're on the same page so when Monday hits and life gets busy, they know what's going on. They'll tell you that they don't go to bed angry, but will stay up all night in order to work to a place of forgiveness and grace when they're fighting. But instead of intentionally setting aside time for our marriage, we sit on our couch watching Netflix, refusing to talk about how we're doing or feeling. We do this with our mental health. We're struggling, we don't really know why. Our days either feel really high or really low. And we see it impacting our friendships, our family, our lives. And someone says to you that you need to go to counseling because it's what freed them and helped them figure out what was going on in their life. But instead of doing that because you're afraid of opening up and being vulnerable, you continue on the path that you're on. And at some point you'll look around and you'll realize that you've pushed away the people that care about you the most and things haven't gotten better. And we do this when it comes to our faith. We wanna grow in our faith. We want to pray more or read our Bible more. We want to be more generous with our finances. We want to trust God more. But then I stand up here every single week and I encourage you to read your Bible or take a step and get baptized. Join a collective, join the team. And you consider it, right? Maybe you even wrestle with it but for whatever reason, you don't do it. And then you go home and the week gets hard, right? Because life is hard. And there'll be this moment during this week where you long for community. You long for purpose. You long for grace and you long for hope. And the next week you're back here listening, hoping your faith will grow so you can truly experience the life that Jesus offers. But growth takes work. You can't just sit on your couch eating peanut butter and expect to see a change. And this leads us to our fourth value as a church. We're in this series called We Are Collective, where we're going through our six core values as a church. And our fourth one today is this, own your growth. Own your growth. And here's what that means. We choose to use our gifts, talents, abilities, and resources to become more like Jesus. God has given us those things, and we make the conscious decision to say, yes, God, you've given me this gift, you've given me this talent, you've given me this time, these resources, and I'm going to use them for you. Own your growth. Whoever you are and wherever you are in life, whether you are young or old, a student or retired male or female, new to this whole Jesus in church thing, or you've been following Jesus for a really long time, there is some way that you need to grow, some way that you want to grow. Now, I hope that is spiritually. I hope that's why you're here. But if you're new to church, you might be thinking that you don't actually want to grow spiritually right now because you're still trying to feel this whole church and this whole Jesus thing out, and that's fine. But there is something in your life where you want to grow. There's a relationship you have, there's a career that you have, there's a goal that you have where you want to grow. 
And what Jesus wants to do today is set us free from the mentality where we believe that we can't change. And he wants to move us into the reality where we experience regular, healthy, and ongoing growth. And so I'm going to read a story. And it's often read to showcase Jesus' power and his ability to heal and change someone's life. But this story is also about owning your growth. And here's the story. It's in John 5. This is how it begins. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the Sheep Gate was the Pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Now, here's what's interesting about this note in this story in John 5. We know where that is, right? Archaeologists have actually discovered the Pool of Bethesda. In fact, I'm actually getting the opportunity next summer to go to Israel, and I will go visit. I will take a picture for you to prove that it exists. And this detail matters, and here's why. It matters to the story, but it matters to our faith. The writers of the Bible are very specific, which can be dangerous unless you're telling the truth. That's why it's important that the Bible is full of real people and real places and during real times in history, because we can prove that they're not made up. Right? Imagine how difficult it would be for 40 different writers to cover over 4,000 years of history, and to date, not one of those facts have been proven false. Nelson Gluick He's a world-renowned archaeologist. In fact, he's, he was so well-known in the 60s and 70s that he was on the cover of Time magazine. They did a whole article about him. And this is what he said. He said, It may be category, or stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. Now think about that. Like this dude was personally responsible for finding over 1,200 instances of the Bible while being an archaeologist. Not a few. It wasn't an accident, Right? He wasn't digging in his backyard and it's like, oh, there's a dinosaur. Like this was his life. And he's saying that nothing ever has been found to disprove what the Bible says. And so if you are skeptical and you have doubts, it's good because you're in the right place. Collective is a place where you can belong before you believe. But if you look, are looking for facts, this should matter to you. Now, this doesn't mean that all places and all times and all people have been confirmed. It just means that nothing's ever been refuted. And so this is a big deal, right? Because it tells us that maybe, just maybe, this happened. So in this real place, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Now that's kind of a weird question, so we'll come back to that in a little bit. But this is how the story continued. I can't, sir, the sick man said. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Now at this pool, there's this superstition in regard to the water, right? There's this superstition that at this specific pool, an angel would actually come down and touch the water and it would bubble up. So the people thought that whenever the, there were bubbles in the water, the first one into the pool got healed. Now this was just a superstition. It wasn't some sort of magic thing that was going on, right? It was just what they thought, it's what they believed at the time. But one thing to think about is John writes that the people there were blind, so they couldn't see, they couldn't get down there by themselves. The people there were lame and paralyzed, so they couldn't walk. So who's gonna get into the pool first? It's gonna be some dude with a headache, right? He's gonna walk into there and he's gonna be like, oh, it worked, everyone go try this pool, right? This was essential oils before essential oils were a thing. Got a headache? 
rub some lavender oil counterclockwise on your head and some peppermint oil on your feet and you're good to go, right? It's something that we believe, listen, essential oils, whatever. I don't have an opinion one way or another. I'm just messing with you. But it's that kind of idea, right? Like if you believe it enough, like things happen. But the story continues. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. This is an amazing story. It shows the power of God, his ability to heal. But it's also about growth. And this story teaches us two things. It teaches us that growth is optional and growth requires action. Right, because God has a better future for you and he's teaching us that through this story. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna actually go through and break down and explain how this is all about our own growth and owning it. And so John 5, 5, going back to that, it says one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. 38 years. Can you imagine? Now, we don't really know what his illness is. A lot of times people read this story and they actually claim that he's paralyzed, and it's not true. The word is illness. It actually means he was lacking strength. Physically, he wasn't very strong. He wasn't uh, doing well. So we don't know if it's like a physical, physical thing or something that's internal that's going on with him. But he was sick for 38 years. And maybe you haven't been sick for that long. Maybe you have. But you know what it's like to feel stuck. Stuck in a career. Stuck being single. Stuck in your finances. Stuck in an addiction. Stuck in your faith. And you've been showing up for a long time with no results. And because of that, you're frustrated. You're beat down. You're discouraged. That's this guy. Right, that, that's him. He's been there for 38 years. But then Jesus asks him, would you like to get well? And this is why I said that growth is optional. Jesus gives the man a choice. All right, he says, do you want to lay on this mat forever or would you like to get well? It's his choice. Right, Jesus is saying, you've got to do something, right? Just laying there isn't going to be enough. And at first glance, this might feel like an insensitive question because he's been sick, he's been there for 38 years, but look at how the man responds. In John 5, 7, he says, I can't. He says, I can't, sir, the sick, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. I can't. One of my favorite books, and one of the best books I've read on leadership is called Extreme Ownership, and it's written by two Navy SEALs. And it's a super intense book, and I've actually read it a few times, uh, but recently I I decided to listen to it on Audible, which is a completely different experience on Audible, because it's read by the Navy SEALs. And so you start listening, and they talk like this the entire time, and you're like, you are so much tougher than I am, so I'm going to listen to you. (laughs) But this book is great, but here's one of the things that they say about leadership, but specifically about owning the role that you're in. They wrote this, ownership requires checking your ego and operating with a high degree of humility, admitting mistakes, taking ownership, and developing a plan to overcome challenges. Leaders must own everything in their world. There is no one else to blame. And they're talking about leadership, but growth is the exact same way. We have a choice. We can own our own growth, or we can stay stuck. We can admit our mistakes. We can own our circumstances. We can develop a plan to overcome. Right? We can own everything in our world, or... We can blame others. And that's exactly what this guy does. He says, I can't because no one else will help me. And here's something I know that I know is true. 
we love blaming other people. We love it. It's like a, it's a part of our culture now. And let me explain what I mean. Life has problems. Life has bad things that happen, but even in those bad things, you can grow. But growth is optional. You can own your situation or you can blame other people. Right? And Jesus, Jesus wants to move us out of a mentality that says, it's not my fault. This is out of my hands. I'll never be able to do that or go there or be that because of them. He wants to move us out of that to somebody who says, I'm going to own my own situation and I'm going to step into my future. The problem is that we love blaming others because it frees us from responsibility. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, it's not my fault. Like, I can't do it. Someone else, other people get there first. No one will take me down there. Because if we blame other people, then we don't have to own it. Right? It's my boss's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my teacher's fault. It's my ex-girlfriend's fault. If I don't own my growth, I don't have to change. And I'm free from responsibility because it's your fault. It's their fault. It's her fault. Before we started Collective, there was a family that was a part of our launch team. And about three months before opening day, the dad sent me a super long email telling me that they were leaving Collective. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't really read it all. I have a personal rule if emails are too long, I don't read them. Uh, I also have a personal rule that if you're going to email me about things you don't like about this church or me, I don't read them. Uh, because if you don't have the guts to say it to my face, I'm not super interested. Uh, but luckily for this guy, I was feeling a little confrontational, which I wake up in the morning feeling a little confrontational. But I, so I met up with him at a coffee shop. And as we sat there, he began to talk about how his adult son wasn't reading his Bible and how that was my fault. His adult son who lived at home. And for a few moments, I listened, but then I interrupted him to tell him, it's not my job to force his son to read his Bible. His growth is his growth. If he wants to grow, if he wants to further his relationship with Jesus, that's on him. Growth is optional. And he chose video games and blaming me. Now, I can't make you grow. I said this a few weeks ago in talking about our value of being rooted in truth. Jesus says that he can set you free, but you have to say yes to that. That is between you and Jesus. Now, if I could set you free, I would, seriously. I would give everything I have short of my own family for you to make decisions of faith, to take next steps, but I can't. Your faith is your faith, and you have to own your growth. But the promise this church will make to you is we will do everything we can to create space for you to grow. Right? CT talked about this last week. We will create intentional environments for this to happen, but you have to make the choice because growth is optional. You have to take the step. You have to own your growth. And so you have to choose to grow. And the questions you have to wrestle with is, are you humble enough? Are you willing to fail but not give up? Because growth is optional. But eventually you get to this place where you're like, okay, I want to grow. And that's why growth requires action. So Jesus says to the man, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Do something. Take a step. Take action. And instantly, the man was healed. Now, I want to spend some time on this because it's, it's fascinating. Because when he takes action, God heals him. Now, the truth is only God can heal this guy. 
but only he can take action. And for some reason, God decides that only when you take action will he heal you. Right? Only when you take action will he bring the things into your life that you're longing for, that you're asking for, that you want. And some people, when they first come to collective, will get really confused because we talk a lot about grace and endless second chances. But then we will say almost every single Sunday, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, if you want to receive that grace, if you want the life that Jesus offers, you should get baptized. And people will say, are you saying that you are earning grace from God by the work that you do? And the answer to that is no, not at all. We're just saying what scripture says. We're just repeating what the Bible teaches. In Acts 2, there's this moment where all these people hear about Jesus for the first time. Right? It begins to click for them. It begins to become real for them. They've maybe heard it was a theory. But then all of a sudden, there's this sermon that's preached by Peter. And these people, over thousands of people are like, I want that in my life. And so here's how Peter responds to them when they say, what do we do? What do we need to do in order to have a relationship with Jesus? Peter says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why we say every single week, if you want to have a relationship with God, check the baptism box on your connection card and we'll be in touch with you. Let's have a conversation about that. It doesn't lock you into anything. It doesn't force you into anything. It just says, Let's take step one in a conversation. And baptism is the way that we publicly proclaim and share our faith in Jesus. And whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or are new to faith, this is an action that Jesus asks us to take. It isn't a decision that you make privately and hold on to in the corner of your room. When you make the decision to follow Jesus, you celebrate that through baptism. And during second service, we're going to see this happen with Kristen and Ramon. Two people have made the decision to put their faith in Jesus, to make him the leader of their life, to receive the grace and forgiveness that he offers. And what we'll do at second service is we're gonna celebrate that like crazy and we're gonna show you the video next week so you can celebrate that with them as well. But growth requires action. And we see this over and over again in the Bible. Jesus will heal you, will give you the life that you want when you take action. It's actually a pattern that he has. And sometimes we actually see that paired up with physical healing. In John 9, it says, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, and then the blind man was healed. Luke 17, go show yourself to the priest, then the lepers were cured. Matthew 12, stretch out your hand, and then the man with a deformed hand was healed. But sometimes the healing is spiritual. In Acts 2 that we just read, repent, to turn away from the life you're living and be baptized, then you will be forgiven. Acts 3, a little bit later, it says, repent and turn to God and your sins will be forgiven. Romans 6, join with Jesus in baptism and receive new life. See, for reasons only known to God, and this is one of those paradoxes of Christianity that I can't even fully explain, but I see throughout the Bible, God's power to heal is unleashed when you take action. So why does God do that? Right? Why does God act like that? Why does God require faithful action before he responds? And I think that's what we're talking about today. I think it's because he wants you to own your own growth. Right? See, if God just looked into your heart and said, I'm going to heal this person and forgive them because they seem nice, you would never grow. You would never grow in your faith. You would never grow in your marriage. You would never grow in your relationships. To be honest, you would be stuck. And so God is teaching you, even from the moment you first come to him, in order to own your growth, you have to take action. Because when you follow Jesus, he doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants you to be a force of good in this world. 
And that's why own your growth is one of our values. And to be honest, this should be a value at every single church. I've seen way too many pastors who try to carry the burden of ensuring every single person under their care is growing. But I reject that because Jesus rejects that. Jesus looks at the sick man by the pool and says, do you want to get well? Then stand up. And that is when the power of God is unleashed in his life. See, it's more than just showing up. That guy had been showing up for 38 years. Nothing had changed. Showing up at the gym doesn't do anything. Showing up in life doesn't do anything either. You have to do something. You have to own your growth. And we believe that the Bible gives us a very straightforward and simple plan for how to grow your faith. This is actually how we developed our strategy as a church. And so here's how we say it at Collective. We tell people that they should be involved in collective worship, collective community, and collective engagement. This idea, we do all these things together. None of this should be done alone. You, you cannot worship alone fully. You cannot be in community alone. And you can have good relationships outside of the community alone, but really they're one-sided. And so collective worship, we worship together every single week. Now, if you go to the gym every so often, you won't get in shape. But if you go every single day, you will. How much you are here shows how much you want to grow. This also includes serving on Sunday mornings as part of the team. Worship isn't just about being filled up. If you're in a place where you come here every Sunday because you're just like, give me what you've got, you need to grow. You need to take that step. Because worship is so much more about creating space for other people to be filled up as well. Collective community, we weren't meant to be alone. God did not create us to go through this life alone. When we try to do life alone, it hurts. It's significantly harder. That's why every single Sunday, you'll hear someone on stage encourage you to join a collective. And the hope is that you grow in a safe environment where other people are there trying to grow. And so we have eight collectives that meet throughout the week. Three on Tuesday, three on Wednesday, and two on Thursday. We have one for youth as well. There are early groups and there are late groups. Most of you don't have an excuse for not checking one out. Collective engagement. Jesus isn't just for people in this room, but for everybody in our community. So we spend time serving and building relationships outside this church. This is not the end-all be-all for who Collective is. And so we do our best to show that we are for Frederick because Jesus is for Frederick. Jesus loves this city, so it's our job as a church to show other people what that love looks like. So when we say own your growth, here's what we mean. We're not gonna coax and prod and beg you to be involved. To be honest, it means that I expect you to read your Bible, but I'm not gonna beg you. I'm not gonna guilt you into it. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've said that Jesus is the leader of your life, I just expect that you're gonna to want to do, know more about the person and character of Jesus than the characters on Netflix. Owning your growth means you are ridiculously in charge of your situation. Listen, if it were as simple as me going up to people on Sunday and saying, you need to get baptized, you need community, join a collective, you wanna make a difference, join the team, you wanna have better control of your finances, start with generosity. If it were that simple, I would do it. But here's the thing. We talk about your next steps every single week. And there are still people in this room that are too afraid to check off baptism on their connection card. There are people who are too busy to join a collective. There are still people who don't wanna wake up early and join the team. And if I could change that, I would. Because the truth is, when you just come here on Sunday mornings, you get a good experience, but you're missing out on what God really wants to do in your life. 
You're missing out actually on what's best when it comes to collective. It is not this, it's everything else. And so we'll continue to say every single week, if you want to take a next step, check off the box in your connection card, but the pen is on your seat for a reason. Owning your growth also means that you don't wait for collective to initiate something before you just do it, right? Not infrequently, somebody will come up to our staff and say, collective should do this, right? We should serve in this country. We should start a ministry to serve this people group. And most of the time, they're really good ideas. They're God-honoring and people-loving ideas. But our staff is stretched. We don't have the time or capacity to start every good thing that God could possibly do through us. So I believe when you say that, when you feel that burden and you feel the desire to come and place that off on someone else, what that really is is God prompting you to do something. God's telling you to take action. He's not telling you to wait for permission. He's not telling you that you have to put collective's name on it. God's saying, this is your burden. Do something. Take a step. Move it forward. Owning your growth means you don't not do things just because your pastor doesn't suggest them. Owning your growth means when you miss a week, you're on YouTube or the podcast listening to it. Owning your growth means you proactively ask others to hold you accountable. In fact, owning your growth means you actually tell them, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Like, really, here's deep down the things that are messing with me. Here's what I need you to hold me accountable for. Owning your growth means you reject blaming others and you understand that growth is optional and growth requires action and you're not gonna be stuck. See, Jesus said, would you like to get well? And that's the question for you today. Would you like to get well? Because there are advantages to living a life where you don't take ownership, where you blame other people, where you choose not to take responsibility. But if we choose to own our growth, Jesus will give us a better life. He will give us a life that we're actually designed for. Because I don't want you to be someone who just shows up but doesn't grow. You have to own it. And here's what will happen when you own your growth. You'll move from being someone who has, deep, has a deep personality but zero close friends because you don't take initiative to someone who has deep, life-giving relationships that feel like family that challenge you. You'll move from being somebody who pretty much coasts with God as reflected in your spiritual disciplines to someone who grows deeper every year. You'll move from someone who complains about God not providing for you, but you don't give, you don't tithe, you don't trust God at all with your finances to someone who really understands and knows generosity and contentment. You'll move from someone who keeps saying, I know I should go to therapy someday, but have never made an appointment to someone who's graduated from therapy and has experienced the power of vulnerability and has been equipped to deal with the things that life is throwing at you. You'll move from someone who sees someone else get baptized on a Sunday morning, but lets fear of family or fear of perfection or the fear of other people stop you from taking that step. And you'll move from those things to someone who experiences freedom in Jesus and the new life that he offers. So what do you need to do this week to own your growth? And I want you to pick one thing. In this story, Jesus tells the man to stand up. He tells him to take action. And Jesus says, when you're ready to stop blaming other people, when you're ready to let God do what you can't, when you're ready for a better future where God's power is driving it, you stand up. And the truth is, for most of us, there are probably 50 things that we need to do right now. There's a lot. There are ways that we need to take action and own growth in every part of our life. But the challenge for this week is to choose one because you've been sitting for far too long 
You've been sitting on the mat of your dependence. You've been sitting on the mat of your insecurity. You've been sitting on the mat of your complaining. You've been sitting on the mat of blaming other people. You've been sitting on the mat of shame. You've been sitting on the mat of your own arrogance. But Jesus is saying, stand up, take action, and own your growth. Let's pray. God, if we're being honest, um, our preference is that other people are in charge of the growth in our life. God, what we'd prefer is if it was our spouse's job to figure it out. We'd prefer if it was our boss's job. We'd prefer if it was our pastor's job. But God, time and time again in the Bible, we read story after story after story where you give people a choice, but it's on them. God, they have to choose to take action. They have to choose to take ownership in their own life and ownership for their own faith and ownership for their own growth. And God, we know that's not easy. It's so much safer to coast. After 38 years of sitting on a mat, it was so much easier for that guy to be like, this is just who I am. But God, I pray this week that you give us the courage, you give us the opportunity, God, that you give us the faith to grow. God, help us take a step. God, whatever it may be, whatever you've been putting on our heart for a really long time, there's nothing new today that we're wrestling with. It's been the same thing over and over and over again. But God, instead of wrestling with it, God, instead of just praying about it, God, I pray that you give us an opportunity this week to take a step, to take action in our own life and to own our growth. And God, we know um, how hard that is. And to be honest, most of us will try to take a step this week and we'll struggle. Some of us will fail. But God, we know deep down inside that there's grace for that. God, that you'll give us a second chance. We'll stand back up and we'll try to take that next step. So God, I pray that no matter how many times we fail this week to grow or take that step of faith to move closer to you, God, that we always know that you're there cheering us on, picking us back up and helping us move forward because you want what's best for us and every other part of our life. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for that challenge. God, I just pray this week that we take it seriously. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.